Hey, go ahead, have a seat. Can we thank the band for leading us? Isn't that great? Well, that last song, Tremble from Mosaic, has such powerful lyrics. Uh, we served at Mosaic for almost 13 years, and we know one of the musicians, in fact, we saw her grow up. She used to babysit our kids. And, and when you hear these lyrics, I, I want you to listen to what they're saying. Jesus, you can make the darkness tremble. Jesus, you silence fear. Mariah McManus and the songwriters captured this powerful idea that, that Jesus is bigger, more powerful than darkness and fear. Now, how is that possible? This is a scary, messed up world. And so today we're concluding our series about trust, and today we're talking about how to overcome our trust issues with God. Do you have areas in your life that you know you need to trust him more? Think about it just for a moment. It may not even take long. After the last 18 months we had, I'm sure there's some areas in your life that you're wondering about. God, why would you allow this? Or God, how can we make it through that? I wanna share one that I've been working through, not just these last 18 months, that pops up time and again in my own life. How can I trust God with, when there's so much evil and suffering in my life and in our world? In other words, why do bad things happen to good people? That's all, that's the only question I want us to answer today in our time together. Just one of the most important, most difficult questions to answer. And I know we won't answer all the questions surrounding that, but I'm hoping that we'll get going in the right direction. I wanna take this one big question and break into the three smaller ones that are no less important. We're gonna to try to answer who is God and what is evil and suffering and why me? Who is God? We need to understand who he is so we can discover that we can trust him. See, some of us, we have trust issues with God because we have prayed, we've even begged God and what we asked for never happened. Others of us have suffered and in the midst of that suffering, it did not feel like God was close or with us. Others of us have trust issues with God because we've been burned by people who claim to follow him and they hurt us. And as a result, some of us are mad at a version of God that actually doesn't even exist. There are real consequences when we have trust issues. Some of us have slipped into agnosticism. We're not even sure if there is a God and if he is there, he's not really engaged in my life. Some of you might have even come to the decision in your own life that there is no God. And it could be rooted in trust issues because you used to follow him, but something happened that has caused you to doubt. Others of us, we have Jesus in our life, but just in case we've added a few other beliefs and a few superstitions just to cover our bases. Others of us might treat God like Santa Claus. If I'm good this year, God, then you'll give me these things, right? It's important for us to take stock of what we really believe about God because there's very real chance that there are things you think about God that are not true, that we actually have to unlearn. My dad grew up in a very religious family. They went to church every single week, but it was not something they talked about Monday through Saturday. It was more religious. And then my mom didn't really grow up going to church at all. In fact, 
when my family would come and visit and we'd invite my grandfather to go with us to church, he would always just kind of laugh and say, no, you don't want me there. After years of saying that, you don't want me there, I finally asked, Papa, why don't you come to church with us? Why don't we want you there? And he said, you don't understand. If I walk into a church, God will strike that church with lightning. I thought, well, maybe it is a better idea for him not to go, you know? <laughs> I don't know what he did. He was probably never gonna tell me. But there's this sense that, that there's an angry God that needs to be appeased. But, but what if that's not who God is at all? What if what we think is God is, is not really the God who's revealed himself through the scriptures. In fact, what we see is that God is creator. God is love. And he loved us so much that he gives us freedom. And in that freedom, we've made choices that have actually pushed him away, that have allowed evil and suffering into this planet. But God always had a plan to rescue us. He came and walked among us in the midst of our suffering, lived a perfect life, taught with authority, brought healing to people, loved the outcast ultimately willingly dying on the cross, defeating sin and death, he rose from the dead on the third day, and he's still alive even now. Four years ago this week, I was on a team from Gateway in Israel. And it was fascinating to see some of the places where Jesus walked, but you know one of the things I took away from the entire trip? It was amazing to be in those places where Jesus walked, but Jesus is alive and he's everywhere. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage to find him. He is ready to meet you even here. And what the scriptures tell us is that if you want to know who God is, you first need to look at Jesus, God who walked among us. Colossians 2 says it this way, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. Or this one in John chapter one, God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So it can be disorienting when you grow up in a, in a context where you believe in an angry God. I mean, some of us in English class had to read this famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Or in history, you might have a medieval version of heaven and hell and judgment because of artwork like Dante's Inferno. Or when you read the Old Testament, you see God's judgment of nations. And we just think of all the wars and all that we see is just proof that God must be angry, that he needs to be appeased. But when you actually look through the filter of Jesus, you begin to see more clearly even what's happening in the Old Testament. Here's what I've discovered. If you genuinely want to connect with God, he will reveal himself to you. You have to pursue him, and as you come near to him, he reveals himself to you. If you're here, if you're watching online, and, and you're not sure about God or faith or Jesus, let me just ask you, do you have an open mind? If you're here in this room, or do you have struggles and doubts and things that that keep you from drawing closer. Maybe you've drifted from him, but let me ask you, do you have an open mind? See, too often we come to closure too soon on who we think God is and what we think he can do in and through our life. God wants to do a new thing in you. Do you have an open mind? Do you wanna see God reveal himself to you? See, what happens is sometimes we struggle with our faith and we keep God distance because we don't fully understand 
how we are to interact with him. And there's a, a phrase that's used often in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, that can trip us up. It's this idea of fearing God. Let me just read a couple times that it pops up. Job 28. He said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Or this one in Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what does it mean to fear God? Should we cower, stay away, do whatever we can to appease this angry God? it's, It's something so much richer than that. See, to fear God means to respect with reverence, with awe the greatest one there is. To to have more fear of God than anything else, more than a fear of people or even a fear of bad things happening in your life. In the Battle Ready podcast this last week, Erwin McManus said, whatever you fear becomes your master. And that makes sense because whatever you fear ends up making, helping you make your decisions. If you're afraid of what people think, then that's why and how you'll make your decisions. If you're afraid of of getting hurt or or, or something terrible happened, then it will limit the decisions you make because you're making your decisions based on your fear. But if you can right-size your fear where your fear of God is bigger than any fear of what might happen, any fear of what others think, it actually puts us in the position to have a a faith that's bigger than our fear. See, Jesus silences fear. He makes the darkness tremble, even the darkness within us. And that's why when we surrender our life to him, we're overwhelmed with his kindness, his forgiveness, his love. It's what compels us, what motivates us with gratitude to allow him to change us. But see, anytime you come to the scriptures and you you run across a phrase that doesn't quite make sense, it's always important to look at the context and to allow the scripture to interpret scripture. See, the Bible is ancient, but it's still relevant. It's not archaic. It actually is God's word to us. And so when you read a phrase like fearing God, that it's important to also look at what the scriptures say about fear in general. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, the scriptures tell us that God is love and we're to fear God. That means that when we fear him, when we reverentially respect, we have awe for him. But because he is love, we can draw near to him, not pull away. And when we draw near to him, we discover we have nothing to fear because fear is based on punishment and he took our punishment for us when Jesus died on the cross. There's a a classic book The Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis years ago. He was an atheist as an adult, a brilliant English professor, but he became a follower of Jesus, and he writes this story, and it's, it's about this world. It's an analogy to our world. It's called Narnia, but in this world, animals talk. Here's a conversation between Susan and Mr. Beaver. It's a classic moment. Here's what happens. Aslan, who's God in this story. Aslan is a lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. 
He's the king, I tell you. See, God is good. He is the love. And he also has power over life and death. Every breath we have is a gift from him. Anything good we've experienced in life is a gift from God. And so there's this beautiful love from God that if we trust him with all of our fears, our hopes, our dreams, our mistakes, our future, our entire lives, we discover that he's trustworthy. And even our greatest fear, death, we fear losing people we love. We fear losing our own life. Listen to even God's perspective on death. That's so different than ours. Remember, he's outside of time and space. He knows what's after this life. He knows what he has prepared for us. Listen to God's perspective on death. Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Or this one. Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. See, we live in a broken world, a world in which we lose lovely people. And when we lose them, we mourn and we grieve. Death is a reminder that this world is not the way God intended, but you need to know that God is with you. He is with you in the midst of the pain. He mourns with those who mourn, but you can entrust those you've lost to him. And the closer we, we grow to God, the more that we realize this this marker between this life and eternity is far less of a barrier than we thought. Listen to what Paul said. He suffered a lot, by the way, and he writes these words. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Now, that's awesome. I want to just stop right there. I don't even want to finish the rest of the verse. That's the kind of God I want to worship, one that protects me from everything bad from happening. But that's not what Paul says, is it? He goes on to say, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I don't know about you, but Paul sounds crazy. I don't want to be rescued into the heavenly kingdom. I want to be rescued so I don't have to go to the heavenly kingdom. But you see, what he begins to describe is that when you are close to God, you begin to realize that being with him is the ultimate adventure in his presence and until that day, on this side of eternity, we live to advance his kingdom. But he says it this way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, our senior pastor wrote a book called Imagine Heaven. If you're not sure what you believe about life after death, I want to encourage you to read it. Not only does he look at what the scriptures say, he looks at what medical evidence and science has to say about life after death. Well, let's talk for a moment about what is evil and suffering. One of the disciples who walked with Jesus eventually was writing people who were going through a really difficult time, and he writes these words, 1 Peter 4. Do not suffer for murder, theft, or any other crime, nor because you trouble other people. But if you suffer because you are a Christian, do not be ashamed. Praise God because you wear that name. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. See, what we discover is that there's three different types of suffering. Sometimes we suffer the consequences for bad decisions. Sometimes we suffer persecution for the good things that we do. And sometimes we just suffer circumstances because of the world in which we live. Let's look at each of these a little bit more. Consequences. Bad decisions have bad results. 
Some of us are suffering because we made a mistake. And here's what's funny. We do the things we shouldn't do, and then we get mad at God for the results. Have you ever noticed that? There's things that we know we shouldn't do. In fact, Peter is saying it's the criminal acts. It's the meddling in the affairs of others. It's not taking responsibility for yourself. That's why you begin to reap what you sow. See, some of the suffering that we experience could be avoided if we weren't so stupid. Sometimes we find ourselves, God, please take away the consequences of the dumb thing I just did. Have you been there? See, in our freedom, we make bad choices that lead to results we don't want, and we wonder if God cares, and God wonders, are they even listening? When I was a youth pastor in Los Angeles, a, a mom brought in her teenage daughter, and she was obviously pregnant, and they wanted my help in guiding him through the next steps, and I said, well, explain to me what's going on, and the daughter says, I'm pregnant, and I don't know how this happened. Well, I knew how it happened, but I wasn't exactly sure where this was heading. I don't think that's what she wanted to know. And then I said, well, well tell me more. What, what can I do to help? And she says, you don't understand. I just don't know why God would do this to me. I don't think God had anything to do with this. It had more to do with decision you make. And I began to try to help her and her mom navigate. How do you work through the painful consequences that happen when we make Choices we shouldn't have made. We ask God to free us from the consequences from our actions, and he wants to guide us to start making better decisions. But here's the thing. If you have found yourself and you're suffering because of bad choices from your past, there's still a way out. God can bring healing and forgiveness. Ask for help. Sometimes the most mature thing to do is to ask for help. I read this great quote on Instagram. Somebody posted your people appreciate you asking for help. You aren't bothering them, you're honoring them. Let other people help you through the tough consequences you might be facing. Don't let your pride keep you stuck. Well, we also suffer persecution. This is when we actually make good decisions and as making good decisions, actually, we suffer because of it. Maybe you're suffer, suffering for doing good. Sometimes to get to where God wants us to be, it actually requires enduring hard times. See, too often we reject God's guidance because we value how we feel more than what God has for us in our future. But genuine persecution is when we actually are criticized, we're mocked, we're ridiculed, or even endangered as a result of the good choices that we make. There are people who have decided to follow Jesus and as a result, their life is in danger all over this planet. There are people, even part of our church, that by saying yes to Jesus, they've been excommunicated from their families. There are some of us in this room that we may be making the right decision, and as a result, the people at our work have turned on us because we're not willing to sacrifice our integrity. See, and if that's you, if you're suffering for the good choices you've made, Peter says, don't give up. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to, to do good. Keep going, persevere, endure. Your efforts will be rewarded. But there's also circumstances. We suffer because we live in a broken world, a fallen world where evil choices of others adversely affects us. We live in a world where buildings collapse 
where there's war, where there's droughts, where there's heat waves, where there's ice storms. We live in a world that is in disarray, but you should know that one day God will make all things right, and before then, he is with us in the midst of the pain. These challenging circumstances remind us of our frailty, and they can be what draws us closer to God rather than pulling us away. Now, it's easy to say that until you experience personal trauma. I had just graduated from high school back in the early 1990s. I was so excited to be a graduate and looking forward to going off to college. It was the summer right after my senior year. And a bunch of us were getting together to play volleyball at a sand pit court at the Bedford Boys Ranch in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I was so excited. And there were some cute girls there. And so I decided to make some bold fashion choices. I had my Hard Rock Cafe shirt that I then cut right here. I was gonna show off my six pack, right? Maybe it's more of a three pack, but even still. And then I made one of the bolder moves. I was trying to start a trend. No one else has ever probably done this and nor do I recommend that you even try. I had on black shorts and on top of that, orange with purple polka dotted boxers. Yes, I did, it's a true story. And in the end, I was really excited to go and see my friends and, and I was riding my bicycle to go see him. And in my right arm, I had a volleyball and in my left hand, I had a jug of water. Now this must have been before helmets were even invented or at least they weren't ever talked about in Texas. I was not wearing a helmet. Even if I had been, I probably wouldn't have worn it because it would have messed up my feathered hair, right? <laughs> and so I'm riding my bicycle and I'm praying and asking God to bless this time together as we're trying to reach out to some of our friends. And I was really connected to God for the first time in my life in a real tangible way. It'd been about a year, year and a half of really pursuing God. And as I'm getting closer and closer, I'm coming down the hill and I end up going a little faster than I expected and definitely faster than the Volkswagen coming towards me. Because at the last second, he pulled to the left trying to cut right in front of me to another street. And I didn't even have time to hit the brakes. I hit the front hood and then the windshield and then flew over the top. And I could hear, have you ever been in a car wreck where things slowed down? It's the strangest thing, but it's true. I could hear them inside the car in slow motion shouting, oh my gosh. As I'm flying over, I flew all the way onto the grass and I rolled and then I sat up, and there's a cut on my arm, about four inches, and it was completely opened up. I could see the bone and the blood and the tendons. But I was still in shock, even though my arm and my knee were cut, shredded in places. I, I, was, I was not in pain at that point. And my buddy Craig, my best friend growing up, runs over to me, and I had a mixtape in my pocket I borrowed from him. So I reached down into my pocket and pulled it out. I was like, here's your tape. His blood is squirting all over him in the mixtape. The fastest kid in our school happened to be there and saw the whole thing. He ran to his car, drove to my parents' house, and they were there before the ambulance took me off. And so here I am just six weeks after graduating from high school, and I'm in the hospital with cuts all on my right arm and my right leg with 70 stitches. I can show you pictures don't look if you're squeamish, right? But I had to wrestle with God. Why would he allow this to happen? 
Why, why would they pull out in front of me? And why a Volkswagen? That's a boxy car. I had nowhere to go but into the windshield. And it was in that season I had to really decide, am I going to trust God when things are going well only? Or am I going to learn to trust him even when things don't go my way? And I remember reading a passage of scripture at that time in my life, and it really spoke to me. It was in Philippians chapter three, and it says this, I want to know Christ. That was my heart. It says, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I remember in that season saying, God, I didn't want to suffer, but now that I'm suffering, would you do something good from this? Could you help me to know you more? See, we cannot experience the power of a new life until we die to the old life. There is no resurrection without first experiencing crucifixion. Our faith is made real in the midst of suffering. It's easy to trust in God when everything's going great. Very little faith is required. But a genuine faith is necessary when we trust him when things aren't going well. See, we're all gonna suffer. We live in a broken world and how we respond to our suffering will determine the kind of life we experience. Draw closer to him. Don't pull away. He wants to take you through this, to bring healing from this, and even bring good out of it when we surrender our pain to him. Now, I knew the girl, the sister of the guy driving the car. A few weeks after the wreck, she came over to check on me, and I was healing up pretty nicely. I hadn't broken any bones. I hadn't torn any ligaments. And I told her, I'm going to be fine. And I said, well, what did your brother Brad say about the accident? She said, oh, he can't talk about it. He hasn't told anybody what happened. I felt bad for Brad, and I didn't really know him. And a year goes by, and I'm off at school. I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, I had to go to community college with my mom pushing me in a wheelchair. That was a rough introduction to adulthood. But I made it past that, and now I'm in, in college. Everything's going fine. But a year later, I come back, and I'd had a knee kept swelling up on and off throughout the year. And, and the scar on my arm was really purple and jagged. So I had two surgeries, one on my arm where they were trying to fix the keloid scarring with cortisone shots, and so they removed it, and, and it came back still with keloid, but straighter, not as jagged. And, and then they took the glass they discovered that was in my knee. And so a year later, I've been doing fine for 11 and a half months, but now I'm on crutches and my arm is bandaged up, and I go into a restaurant and there's Brad. I haven't seen Brad in a year. Brad cannot talk about what happened. And I wanted to comfort him. I wanted to make sure he knew everything was okay. And so I shouted out, Brad. And he looked over at me and he turned white as a ghost. I could tell he was not feeling better about what happened a year ago in my crutches. So I, I waved at him, Brad, Brad, everything's okay. And he just took off for the kitchen. He was a waiter there at the restaurant. So I started going after him, Brad, 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 you know. Poor Brad, I was haunting him, you know, in that moment. <laughs> but here's the thing. What I've discovered in life is some of us struggle to trust God, not because of what we suffer, but because of what other people suffer. I wanted to tell Brad, you don't understand, Brad. I know you didn't mean to do that. And as hard as it's been, I would never trade it. I grew closer to God because of what happened. See, some of us are mad at God for what other people suffer, and we have no idea that their suffering might be something they would never trade. 
This last week, I watched a documentary on Netflix called The Last Days, horrific, about the Holocaust. And it was fascinating to watch these stories of these people who survived but lost so many people they loved. Some came out of it and had decided there could not be a God because of what they experienced. But others came out of it more certain than ever there was a God. See, you and I can face the exact same thing as someone else, and it's our heart posture that will determine what we're gonna do with what we experienced. See, when you and I decide we can't trust God because of what someone else is doing, what we're actually saying is I don't wanna do the work to try to press through these doubts. See, doubts can actually be what fuels us to pursue him more. Here's the thing. Most of the time, we do not know why God allows pain into our lives. It's possible that we ask God for more, to trust us with more in our life, and maybe that's why we're suffering now. Maybe the struggles that we're currently facing, God has allowed into our life to refine you, to help you to become the person he's created you to be. When I was a bodybuilder, we would say, no pain, no gain. I was never a bodybuilder, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I've heard those who work out say things like that. And it makes sense, right? No pain, no gain, right? If that's true physically, then it's gotta be true spiritually. See, when you're facing a trial, what do you do? Do you lean into faith, lean into community, lean into Jesus? Or do you run away? Do you isolate? So we need to allow him to give us his eternal perspective to, so that we might experience his love, discover his plan. But see, too often when we're in the midst of a trying time, we give up. We don't want to feel the pain anymore, so to stop the pain, we bail out. We quit on the relationship. We quit on the dream. And here's the problem, we quit right before the breakthrough. Rosabeth Moss Cantor, a Harvard professor, said this, everything can look like failure in the middle. See, some of you are in the middle of your marriage right now. Some of you are in the middle of starting a new company right now. Don't give up just to get rid of the pain. Maybe the pain is refining you so that you can have a better marriage, a healthier company in the future. See, here's the thing. You and I have forgotten more trials than we can remember. This current feeling you have right now, a year from now, you may not even remember what you were going through. So let me give you really quickly three practical ways to overcome trust issues with God. First of all, be honest with God. We see this in the Psalms. David, who was a man after God's own heart and was suffering even in spite of trying to lead a life that honors God, opens up to God. He says this in Psalm 142, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. That's an angry prayer. He sounds like Lieutenant Dan on Forrest Gump, doesn't he? No one cares for me, he says to God. But here's the thing, you can complain, you can argue, you can be honest with God. You cannot overwhelm God with your feelings. And here's what's really beautiful, almost at the end of every single one of these psalms, these journal entries that David has written, he ends with things like this. 
I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living because of your goodness to me. He gets all that anger out and is reminded of how good God really is. God is okay with our honest prayers. Number two, trust, choose to trust no matter what. Be okay not knowing. You can trust God even if you don't understand what he's doing. See, skeptics might say, they, they put these ideas together. That because of all the suffering in this world, all the evil that we see and experience, that either God is all loving but not all powerful, or God is all powerful but he doesn't care for us. But see, those are what seemingly are two opposing ideas, but in reality, that's a false choice. God is both all loving and all powerful. He is with us in the midst of the suffering. The suffering that we experience is temporary. God will one day make all things right. And we're okay with other paradoxes in life. This idea of a paradox is seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statements that when investigated and explained actually come out to be true. I can give you another relationship where there's a paradox. Marriage. Marriage can be the most meaningful relationship of your life and the most painful one. And that's even if you stay together and work through the challenges. Or another one. Any of you have little kids? Maybe you've heard this phrase. When you're raising little ones, the days are long, but the years are short. See, so when you have a little two, three, four-year-old kid, man, those days are long because they do not want to go take a nap. They don't want to go to bed. They don't want to eat healthy things. The, the world revolves around them. And yet at the same time, we love those little ones and we don't want them to grow up so fast. Here's a picture of my daughter, Trevi, when she was three. She asked me to dance at a wedding we were attending. That's what we're doing there. She was much shorter than me, so I had to hold her to dance. And it, in many ways, breaks my heart. That little version of Trevi does not exist anymore. There is no three-year-old version of her. But I didn't want her to stay that way forever because then I would have never met the 19-year-old version of Trevi. The one who sang two weeks ago here on stage. The one who's going to Paris as a missionary at the end of the summer. And I don't want to keep her trapped at 19 because I want to see what she's like at 30. Will she start a business? Will she choose to get married? Will she have kids? More importantly, what will be my grandpa name? <laughs> Will it be something plain like grandpa or something cool like big papa <laughs> or something embarrassing like pee-poo, <laughs> right? <laughs> See, life is filled with paradox. The days are long, but the years are short, and we learn to live in that construct. See, we should be grateful for those long days while we have them. And we should be grateful for those short years when we have them. I'm grateful for the season in my life when I was young. But I am so grateful to have more age and wisdom. And I look forward even more so to being in the presence of the one who gave everything for me. See, there's this paradox. You can trust God. He is all loving and he's all powerful. He might allow suffering into our life, but he can bring good out of it. So much good that you'll look back and be thankful for it. 
we can understand that God is all powerful and all loving and he will bring justice in this life or the next. And then when we look at the scriptures, we begin to learn that God can allow the consequences of evil choices to destroy a nation even as he rescues individuals like we see in the story of Ruth in the time of Judges. And when you look at the Old Testament, you begin to see that all the nations are like the ISIS or Taliban. You can see why there was so much violence and war. But on the other side of Jesus, you see God's true heart has never changed. He is all loving and he is all powerful. His love drives out fear. May we have a fear of God greater than the fear of the things that happen to us or the people around us. And finally, repent. It's a word that means to turn the other direction. Whatever you've been doing and going your own way, it's acknowledging, I can't keep doing this. I need you in your ways, God. See, for some of us, our suffering led us to walk away from God, to not be as serious about our relationship with God, to disconnect from God's family. Lean in, let him show you that he cares for you. And it's okay, we see this throughout the scriptures uh, of repenting not only for your own mistakes and evil choices, but repenting on behalf of your family, repenting on the behalf of your city, repenting on behalf of your nation, asking God that his way becomes our way. There's a beautiful verse in Romans 2, 4. It says this, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, we're talking about the suffering we experience, but we have no idea the suffering that we missed because God protected us. We have zero clue of how many times God rescued us, how many times that Volkswagen did not turn left. We have no idea the ways that God is protecting you and me even now. Every good gift we have is from him. Whatever your trust issues are with God, I wanna just invite you to, to take a next step, to surrender whatever that fear is that seems to be bigger than your faith. And for some of you today, maybe it's to choose to pursue him more fervently than ever before with a sense of urgency, not just showing up every once in a while on a Sunday, but spending time daily with him in the scriptures, in prayer, in worship jumping into community and jumping into serving. Maybe your next step is helping others. Perhaps God has placed you where you work or in your neighborhood or in your extended family because there are people who are praying for help right now and he wants to send you as the answer to their prayer. Even next week, we're, we're not having services. Instead, you can watch all online all weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, either inviting someone over to watch with you or joining in and throwing your own festivities to get to know your neighbor, or moving conversations with your friends and family you're with from superficial to spiritual. Let God use you beyond what you think is even possible. Maybe it's sending someone that's going through a tough time this message or the notes from this message. We put that up at my website if you wanna take a look at that and send that to someone. Or maybe today your next Step is to just surrender. Say, yes, Jesus, I need what you did on the cross to count for me. Forgive me. Baptism is a beautiful symbol of dying to the old life and rising again for a new life, empowered by Jesus who lives within. 
It's symbolic of being cleansed from all mistakes and evil choices and sin to walk a new life empowered by gratitude for all that he's done. doesn't mean we're gonna be perfect, but we can make progress every day, every season, every year. Or maybe it's to surrender in some way that God impresses on your heart. This next song is a declaration that of following Jesus and never looking back. And if you're here and your next step is to get baptized, I'm gonna encourage you during the song or right after the song to just go straight out to that baptism pool. We would love to celebrate with you. And the rest of us, after we hear some of the updates of what's to come, we wanna go out and celebrate with them because when we see their baptism, it reminds us of ours, of where we can be again. So listen to this song and the lyrics as you connect your heart to God.